Welcome to the Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast. Thank you so much, Bill, for coming on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles. I really appreciate it. And um, if you could just take a moment just to explain um, your group's organization a little bit and um, before we get started. Thank you. I'm happy to do that, and thank you for inviting me. Uh, I'm very pleased to be here on behalf of uh, CARP. CARP is a national organization. Uh, CARP stands for Canadian Association of Retired Persons, although we don't use that uh, full name very much anymore because so few of us can afford to be retired. So uh, we just use the word CARP. We're Canada's largest uh, organization advocating on behalf of older adults. We have 325,000 plus members right across the country. We have active uh, chapters in every uh, province and uh, many of them in uh, Ontario. In Ontario itself, we have almost 100,000 uh, members who are very uh, active across the province and we advocate in uh, in all areas of concern for older adults but our chief areas of concern are of course uh, um, health security financial security and uh, and dealing with the ageism ageism of course which is uh, uh, rampant these days in in the whole area of of, uh, of health especially in in long-term care. I'm the uh, Chief Operating Officer and the Chief Policy Officer of uh, CARP, and we have a very small staff, uh, uh, five people uh, in Toronto, uh, but uh, we're supported by our chapter executives and volunteers right across the country. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. And when, so we'll get started here. And on your website, you have the uh, petition that you started for the Minister of Long-Term Care in Ontario, Minister Fullerton. And why is it that you're looking for her to be uh, released from her current position? And why not the Minister of Health, which would be uh, Christine Elliott, and as well, the Premier of Ontario. So I'll let you go ahead with that. Those are very good uh, questions, and it comes down to simply this. Uh, Ontario is the only province that has a separate ministry for long-term care. So we would expect that Ontario would have the best program and support of long-term care in the country, and obviously it doesn't. So we, what we want to do is shake up that ministry of long-term care and uh, and get them to be more effective now uh, you know we the premier is in his office until another election so we cannot uh, you know uh, reasonably suggest that he get fired um, the bureaucrats within the ministry of long-term care are are comfortable there because they are con they are comfortable as bureaucrats are and somewhat protected from uh, uh, from being fired so uh, who's left but poor uh, Dr. Fullerton, as the, the minister, the buck has to stop with, with her. And uh, I'm, I'm sure she is a very nice uh, person. We know that she's uh, a doctor with 30 years experience. Uh, so we feel that probably she's not getting the support from the premier or her ministry that she should. And the only option we have is to call for action, which is to remove, uh, remove her. 
it's too bad we can't go after the others too. They're equally or more uh, responsible, but uh, that's what we've aimed on and what we hoped would happen, whether the minister gets, uh, gets fired or, or, or not really doesn't matter. What we want to do is wake up that ministry of long-term care and get them to start acting and taking the actions that they should have years ago. Remember some of these uh, uh, situations are here and have been here a long time because of previous governments. But the bureaucrats have been there, the same bureaucrats in those departments, and they haven't been taking the proper action either. So it's all focused on uh, this ministry of long-term care, and there has to be change there. And the only way we can do that at the moment, with our now over 5,500 signatures on our petition, is highlighted by calling for uh, a change in that the minister's indicated that you have over 5,000 on your uh, petition and I'll make sure to include that where people can go to to sign that as well. It's gone over 5,500 today and uh, I expect if I looked again which I haven't in the last hour it's probably gone up again. We'd okay. love that we would really like uh, all the people who are uh, watching uh, this to go to the carp.ca. It's that simple website. It's right up beginning of uh, the front of the uh, website and sign the petition, make the comments and help us take this message to the Ministry of Long-Term Care. Perfect. Thank you so much. And then with all of the seniors that are living in long-term care and prior to COVID, they've been pretty much hidden, forgotten, neglected, and of course, in some cases, even abused to experiencing the horrific conditions that have been outlined, outlined in the Canadian military report. And this took back in late May of 2020. And uh, for years, caregivers, even residents complained to the ministry about the conditions, but issues were never resolved. How, what would you wish you could say to the current members uh, in government, uh, what you would hope to say for the future members as to what to look forward uh, when living in long-term care? Yeah, well, first of all, it's wake up. This is no way to treat our loved ones and our family members who are in long-term care. And it's got to be fixed and it's got to be fixed now. Uh, healthcare in general and, and for those uh, residents of, of long-term care has been, has been horrible in, in many uh, cases. Uh, not in all long-term uh, care facilities and we're not in any way uh, blaming the wonderful frontline workers who bend over backwards to support and, and help our loved ones in long-term care, but obviously the government supports aren't there. And they're still not there. You would have thought, I mean, we're 10 months into COVID now. Didn't they learn anything in the first uh, wave? They had the, the downtime in the summer and the fall when, uh, and, and every indication, all the experts said the second wave would be bad or worse than the first wave. And that's turning out to be true. They did no planning. They took no uh, real actions. And we're still hearing the same problems. Things like we're hearing directly from uh, frontline workers that they don't have adequate PPE. Uh, an example, 
example is the masks we know in many long-term care facilities even though the government says we've spent money and there's lots of, of PPE well it must be in storage somewhere because it's not getting the frontline workers and we're having uh, frontline workers tell us that for instance they're given one N95 mask per day to wear for the whole day well anybody who's ever used that kind of mask knows that uh, you would, with having to take it on and off during the day as you do in your in your natural times whether it's for breaks or lunch or anything else uh, it doesn't stay effective if you're using it all all day why aren't they allowed more than one and you know frankly even if the medical research showed that one mask was good for the day, if it, if it makes the frontline worker less anxious and more able to do their job, if they have the comfort of more than one mask, then why not give it give it to them? It's it's you know this is not uh, a government and 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 organizations and long term care are not looking at things from the patient and the worker's point of view. It's all system from the top top down and it's bad system. We've got to start listening to the families, to the patients themselves, to the residents themselves, and to the frontline uh, workers and start acting on them, not uh, by uh, looking at reports and pontification from Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more on that one. And I just wanted to know as well, what is CARP's vision for the future of long-term care and aging well in Canada? Well, the, our, our vision is we've got to stop warehousing our older adults. These large, old uh, facilities with multiple people per, uh, per room, it just can't, stop, uh, can't con continue. You know, uh, this long-term care system we have was based on the old British poorhouse system uh, earlier with many people packed into a hospital-like setting. We know today that's not the way to do it. There's all kinds of, of research and examples of good ways to look after our uh, older uh, family and older friends in long-term care. Uh, lots of people these days know about things like the Butterfly Project, but and there are many, there are many others that show uh, the right way to look after people. We don't need to build huge facilities. If it, when we need our people to go into the kind of care that they could only get in a congregate setting, then we need smaller facilities. We need them to be on one floor. We need them to be big and bright and happy places uh, to, to be. And uh, when we hear the, the premier is talking about uh, fixing the system by building more of these large homes. Uh, that's just ridiculous. It's not looking at the science. It's not looking at what's current. It's not looking at what's being done in other countries, especially in Scandinavia, places like Denmark, where they have totally turned around uh, the system. And surely if they can do it, a country like Canada can do it. It's not that we're not putting enough money uh, toward it. We're just not spending the money in, in the right way. So the first thing to look at is not building these huge facilities with way too many residents to handle, but to have a smaller, more workable uh, situation. Campuses, uh, if you like, as some are doing, where there are a number of these uh, homes together, that's the first uh, thing. The second thing is to make sure we have enough uh, employees, frontline workers. And we know the government said, yes, we have a plan now. By uh, by two, 2025, we're going to have enough frontline workers. Well, the, the 
older adults, your family and my family, our friends who are in long-term care, many of them don't have until 2025 to, uh, to uh, wait for something to change. It's got to happen now, and we need action now from the government, not, uh, not future uh, plans down the way, which will probably be after some other government is, is elected and who knows what they'll uh, uh, decide, what they'll decide to do. And the, and the third thing we need to do today is to realize that uh, this is an emergency. The house is burning. We've got to put it out. And anything that's long-term planning at this point uh, is not going to help today's issue. Um, there's a, you know, the, there's a lot of uh, focus on the vaccine these days and uh, even it's not being delivered very well but there's a, a focus on it when uh, you know it's almost like uh, uh, chasing the horses when we should have closed the barn door what about the infection controls that were supposed to have been in place months ago yet we have uh, although limited uh, uh, government inspectors telling us uh, now that they find uh, inappropriate infection controls are still going on. Even the Long-Term Care uh, Commission uh, issued a report that they weren't asked to last, uh, last fall that highlighted that uh, the proper controls were still not being uh, done. So we want the focus now to be today and fixing today's sit situation. Sure, plan for the f future when you can, but realize that the, the house is burning and we've got to put it out today. Thank you for that. So in like going forward, so would CARP be for the national standard uh, conversation for long-term care moving forward and for at least to allow our seniors to age uh, gracefully? Ab absolutely, and and national stand standards are a key, uh, and they should be be the same across the country. Your postal code should not determine uh, the level of health care that you get. So we need standards in every province, and we need standards that are the same across the uh, uh, country, and we need standards that are enforced. There are no, uh, uh, there are not the same standards across the the country. Uh, we don't have good standards. Uh, if you talk to somebody from the long-term care ministry here in Ontario, they'll tell you that there are standards, but we, you, know, you can't see them being enforced. We know, uh, we know that, uh, uh, that many of the inspections that were being done were by telephone. Can you, can you enforce uh, or regulate standards by inspecting something by, by telephone? It, that's ridiculous and everybody knows that that, uh, that can't be done, but that's what we're being done. So we would really like the federal government to uh, finance national standards and, and in that way put strings on them to the provinces so the provinces don't get the money unless they, they set those standards and then they enforce them. Standards are no good unless they're enforced. We need to have both but that's certainly what we need and we need it right across the uh, country so that uh, and, and this is equal standards and, and maybe in this way our standards in Ontario will come up to some of the practices that are, that are actually better in other other provinces across the country. No, oh, I'm glad that you mentioned that because um, across the country it's different. Like in New Brunswick, most of their long-term cares are non-for-profit, while in Ontario the majority are um, pretty much for-profit. So that type of a model should be, I would think, at least the same across the country. Yeah, and, and it should. Part of. 
And it shouldn't matter whether a, a, a facility is profit or for profit. That's you know that the for profit or not for profit is 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 a, is a bit of a red herring because there are some very you know in Nova Scotia, for instance, their huge uh, outbreak where uh, uh, over seventy percent of the deaths in in the province of Nova Scotia in long term care happened in one not for profit long term care uh, facility. So it's not necessarily for profit or not-for-profit it's the age of the building it's the staffing of the building it's the management uh, uh, that's being done and it's the standards that are that are held and if if for-profit can uh, meet high standards if not-for-profit can meet high standards then they'll be doing what we we want to do and whether or not they're for-profit or not not-for-profit is not uh, not an issue Perfect. Thank you for that. And so now many caregivers have not been heard and have, insist, have instead been neglected and often, often ignored, yet are an essential group in the overall care advocacy and help for seniors and to live better. So would you say for your organization that you see a role for the essential care partner and does your organization support caregivers so to continue to support seniors living in community or in long-term care? Well, we certainly, uh, CARP certainly does support uh, caregivers, both paid caregivers, frontline workers in facilities, and family and volunteer uh, caregivers who come in from the uh, community to help. And uh, we think that both groups are being uh, forgotten in this. The paid uh, uh, caregivers are not being paid enough and they're not being given the tools they need to give care, and the unpaid caregivers are unappreciated. Uh, they're not. Uh, they're not supported. Uh, we want to, to have uh, financial uh, uh, support and incentives for. Uh, for volunteer caregivers too, whether that's uh, tax relief or other support to allow them uh, to do it. Because in many cases, uh, family members and friends have to choose between working or care, uh, caregiving. And if they're doing that, there are some, there are some specific uh, financial uh, supports that CARP has recommended both to the federal government and to the provincial government of how we should support uh, uh, both uh, both groups because uh, uh, this this problem is not going to go away as we as we're all very aware the number of older adults in our country is growing all the time and uh, although people are living longer there's still more and more of them at the end of their uh, life who need this kind of support. And we've got to be uh, planning now to look after those uh, greater greater numbers and do it properly. And that means more caregivers, both paid caregivers and volunteer caregivers. No, thank you. That's, uh, that's, that's great to know because definitely caregiving definitely has a lot of responsibilities and as well you touched upon in terms of the financial aspect for caregiving for a loved yeah. one. If I could say, you know, a little more, what what the the officials have to do, both the people who operate the long-term care homes and the uh, government regulations, has to uh, recognize that uh, uh, families and and family uh, caregivers who are a very important part of this equation, and they save the government billions of dollars uh, if we had to if we had to pay people to do the jobs they do. We've got to start 
looking at this whole system from the residents' point of view and their families' point of view and find out what we can do to make life better from the, for them, not looking at it from a organizational po point of view saying, what can we do most efficiently for this organization? The focus has to be on the resident, the patient, their family, and the people who give them care. Thank you for that. And then for seniors that are deemed like incapable, have no option to vote, nor do they have political representation. And in some cases, they may be lucky to have family to advocate that is willing to speak on their behalf. Um, does CARP believe only a seniors advocate for all Canada is sufficient to deal with seniors issues or is a caregiver advocate also important and also what should caregivers be given as an opportunity to vote on behalf of a person that they are caring for? So the government pays attention to this growing population of seniors in this country. Yeah, I'll, I'll, two, I'll, good, really good questions, and I'll, I'll take it in the in the two parts. First of all, in terms of uh, an ombudsman uh, of some kind, because unfortunately, although it may be, um, healthcare is uh, is a provincial issue, and so are many of the other social service and support things that our senior uh, needs. We think we need that kind of position in every province. There has to be somebody arm's length uh, from government with the uh, power to initiate action who is speaking on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves in the in the in the older population and their family so at the mo as long as as healthcare is decentralized into each province, then we think there should be that kind of advocate in each uh, in each uh, province, and 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 that's what we are strongly recommending. As far as the example of voting is concerned, as early as yesterday, I was meeting with officials from uh, Elections Canada, where we're talking exactly about that issue. How do we make it? easier for uh, uh, older adults to have their say in government there's you know there is if there's there's talk today and maybe by time some people listen to this we we may know but there's talk today about the possibility of an early federal uh, election which would mean we would have an election before COVID is gone so how do people in long-term care vote um, our uh, you know election officials can't come marching into the facility as they used to do and and go room to room to collect vote or have some uh, have voting in the front lobby where everybody comes down to it infection control and people in and out make that impossible so how do we make that possible and one of the ways is by proxy voting which is what you're you're uh, talking about and uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that the people working in elections can are very aware of that a carp is working with them we're making that kind of suggestion and they're uh, I, I i'm pretty confident they're going to be recommending it but the problem of course is this is a political decision in the long run and for something like that to happen would uh, mean it would have to go to the house and be voted on and whether or not that could happen in time for uh, the next election is a real is a real question. But in terms of the long term, we have to find better ways to make sure that everybody is able to keep their franchise, no matter uh, no matter what their age or where they uh, live. And that certainly includes people in long term uh, care homes. And, uh, and 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 because we know that in Canada. Uh, as many as 95% of older adults of 
a vote in most elections. So uh, they do want to uh, uh, partake and we've got to make sure that uh, the uh, political parties uh, support that. And one of the things we're doing is talking not only to the government itself, but to the caucuses of the various parties saying we want you to support this too so that you're not taking the vote away from people who want to exercise their franchise. Perfect. That's good to hear. Thank you for all that information. And as well, I'm going to give you a scenario. Uh, so we would like, you know, um, to provide an envision as a future solution. So our most vulnerable populations can live better and live well and live better, whether at home or in long-term care. And the scenario is this. For seniors who are unlucky to be deemed incapable after suffering a devastating illness or injury and not have a power of attorney in place and only have, let's say, a substitute decision maker advocating for them or not at all, they have a tough road in the long-term care system and risk placing their substitute decision maker in a financial um, deficiency uh, with the um, Canadian Revenue Agency. Does not recognizing this substitute decision maker as a legal representative to handle their taxes, you know, create a predicament? Uh, certainly, it, it certainly does. And CARP believes that's a, a situation. The, the whole area of financial security for people in this uh, position is, uh, is very, very awkward and, and uh, often creates a huge uh, problem for our people in in long-term care and and carp agrees that uh, uh, that this doesn't seem to be well recognized uh, we have been uh, talking about it uh, for some time with uh, with the various organizations that uh, control this sort of thing and and uh, recommend it and trying to educate them on the uh, on the issue but uh, you know it, it comes down to uh, uh, once again our belief that decisions like this should be made with the uh, uh, the person in long-term care and their family not just about them we need to involve uh, them in the decision making and the planning it's because this is a legal issue there are lots of ins and outs and the lawyers can argue either side of, of what what will work and what won't work but the bottom line is we've got to make sure that uh, uh, that older adults are able to adequate adequately manage their own finances and have a and have a say in how those are uh, managed and work with their 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 families to make sure that uh, whatever is done is done in the best interest of the individual and not the system. And once again, we come back to this, it really is ageism, where somehow the system seems to feel that once you're over a certain age, uh, you're incapable of making your own decisions or, uh, or the family is incapable of, of helping you make your decisions. And uh, we've, we've got to start looking at things from a, uh, the, the, the resident's point of view, the family's point of view, and work out a way to make that work, not just a way that's easy for the system to handle. I would definitely agree on that one as well. So in terms of, let's say, long-term care, why would you say that it's important uh, for home care and community care to as well be looked at in conjunction and not as separate silos uh, moving forward? 
Yeah, well, we car at CARP, we believe that uh, long-term care uh, is in fact a continuum. It starts from the time that you, uh, uh, beginning as, as you get a little bit older and you need some kind of, uh, of uh, health care uh, and help beyond what you, what everybody else who's younger gets right to the end to the to the end 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 of life and it's a continuum and 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 a very important part of that is long-term care but remember only five to seven percent of Canadians uh, are in long-term care facilities the other 90 to 95 percent are all living in their own community in their own home or with uh, uh, with family or with uh, some someone else so we have to be we have have to be concerned with people throughout that whole uh, process and most uh, people uh, the vast majority once again our carp surveys and other surveys have showed that uh, uh, you know over 90 percent of uh, Canadians want to stay in their own community and their own home as long as they possibly can so we need to help them do that we can't continue to build long-term care rooms to keep up uh, with the demand for all the the uh, the older people who are coming coming along you know in Ontario it costs between two hundred and fifty and three hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars per room to build a, a new room. It's much cheaper when people are able to keep them their keep them in their own community. We also know that about twenty percent of the people who are now in long-term care would not have to be in long-term care if there was adequate community support uh, uh, for them and, and home support for them. And if we could get those 20% out of long-term care, keep them out of long-term care, then those long-term care spaces could be taken up by people who really need them, who have to have that kind of daily medical support that they just can't get anywhere except in a uh, facility. So that's why uh, we're pushing. And in, you know, I, in, in some countries, I, I mentioned Denmark before, it's a good uh, example. They spend four times as much uh, on home care as we do in Canada, as as a total of what they sp spend on long term care in uh, in total. So we believe that supporting people to stay in their own homes as long as they can, and supporting their families in doing that, because uh, you know families when people are in their own home, it's uh, more often than not families, sometimes friends, who are giving that extra help to allow them to stay in their own uh, in their own home. So uh, we, although we're very concerned about long-term care and we're going to keep pushing to improve the terrible conditions, in the long run, uh, we see that keeping people in their own homes as long as they want to, once again, remember, it's their decision, not somebody else making it for them. As long as they want to, as long as they're able to, we should make that possible. And that means having adequate home care and community care, care within their own community close at hand. For instance, if we want people to stay in our rural communities, which we, which we, uh, which we say we do, then we have to make sure that the healthcare services are, are available enough in those rural communities so people can stay there. Otherwise, they'll have to move to the big city, which uh, they don't, don't want to do and we really don't want them to do uh, either. So uh, home care and 
quality home care and quality community care will just make the situations in long-term care facilities better, easier to manage and, and, and more controllable and certainly much better than it is today. Thank you for that. And as well, like I know that you have spoken in terms of the financial aspect of it. And I know in terms of, let's say, with the Canada Pension Plan, with that increasing, um, as well as uh, restoring the old age security eligibility from 67 to 65, and as well the extra 1,000 a year for the Canada's poorest seniors. And uh, would you as well say in terms of reducing the seniors drug co-payment, both in the province of Ontario and in Nova Scotia, that that should as well be part of the focus? Oh, yes. All of all of those are necessary. It's it's the the financial support to older adults right across the uh, country here in Ontario and, and everywhere else is way less than it uh, than it should be. And uh, our CARP members and, and other older adults we speak to feel that even during COVID now they're being ignored. They see thousands of dollars of support being given to uh, other uh, age groups uh, in our country and, and, and well needed and not saying they shouldn't get them. They certainly should. But, but the older adults feel they're being left out. They're being ignored when they hear of thousands of dollars going to other sectors. And what have they had this year? $300, maybe 500 if you were particularly poor. And that's what you've seen since, uh, uh, since the pandemic began. So I think it's very reasonable that uh, older adults feel they're being forgotten and treated differently than the rest of the uh, country and we and and the these kind of uh, supports that are you know relatively easy for governments to do through uh, uh, through the whole taxation uh, uh, process and and tax rebates and and refundable uh, uh, rebates are all things that seniors need and could use one one of the things that that is not recognized by government of course and I'm sure that all your uh, members could identify with with this no matter what your income is most people are on a fixed income it's not going uh, it's not going up every year once you retire there are some fortunate people who have worked for governments and others who have indexed pensions most people uh, in fact across the country only 30% of the people have any pension at all the other 70% have their own uh, have their own savings the Canada pension and investments they've made uh, uh, made themselves so when prices go up for uh, uh, for people in that age group their their amount still stays the same whether this was X number of dollars a year or X number of dollars a year they're staying right there so so increases in the cost of living which are happening all the time and and other areas really affect them and that doesn't seem to be taken into uh, account by the uh, uh, by the people who are making the tax rules and frankly sometimes we think that's because they're the ones with these indexed pensions and these excellent pensions. So they've never had to worry about that. So the people making the decisions, the politicians, the bureaucrats, uh, don't have the personal experience to really understand what I'm talking about now. And what we're trying to do at CARP is educate them and get them to understand that if they want to continue to have the support of the people who vote, which is those uh, older Canadians, they better start thinking about the financial security of those older Canadian voters. Absolutely. I definitely agree with you on that as well, because as the population ages, and this is going to be a huge 
uh, block uh, that is definitely going up. And as well, we can't afford certain some of these warehouse models types of approach because that's just completely unaffordable at, for a government or society. So, but I do want to thank you though for coming on today to speak um, to on this issue as well as where can some of our listeners be able to get more information from your organization? Yes, well, CARP would be glad to have anybody get in touch. We'd, we'd, we'd love to have people join and become members. Membership is only $15 a year. It's not, uh, it's not expensive. So uh, we'd love to have you join. The easiest way is to go to our website, which is simply CARP, C-A-R-P, .ca and all the information is is there the first thing you'll see when you go to carp.ca is our fire fullerton uh, uh, campaign but information on all the other advocacy things that we're uh, doing uh, are are there and uh, you can join online uh, uh, too uh, and also uh, you can uh, get in touch with uh, carp by phone just look it up in your uh, uh, in your directory or uh, online or send I'd be happy to have emails from uh, any of your members and uh, viewers and my email is simply Van Gorder V-A-N V as in Victor A-N-G-O-R-D V as in Donald E-R uh, at carp.ca so Van Gorder at carp.ca uh, love to uh, uh, hear from you and if you're in a community uh, that has a, a, a carp chapter you probably uh, are aware of it but if you're not you'll find on our website a listing of all the various chapters across the, the province and there are uh, uh, there are lots of them in, in Ontario and you can get actively and personally uh, involved with them and uh, get them advocating locally with you on your behalf I really believe that your organization organization and ours has a tremendous amount in common and that's why I was so pleased to agree to uh, come on and talk with you this afternoon. Thank you so much I really do appreciate it and as well your organization is national so you do have chapters across the country. Absolutely every yes, province perfect. and the territories. Perfect perfect but thank you so much Bill I really do appreciate your time. Thank you again. Thank you. You're welcome.